it's a season of music. And as we have talked about, the world has their songs. Mariah can sing about her song and what Christmas means to her or what she may want for Christmas. But for us as Jesus followers, we understand the true meaning of Christmas is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ, being born. And what we have been looking at and are this month in this series we're calling Playlist are the few songs that the writer of the Gospel of Luke, Luke himself, gives us. There is a playlist, if you will. There's a soundtrack that happens in the Bible, words and lyrics, songs that are sung behind the story of Christ's birth. Last week, when we kicked this off, we looked at the Magnificat, Magnificat, which is Mary's song, and we discovered that it was a revolutionary song, one that told about God's divine reversal of things. And we discovered that Jesus wants to meet us. Jesus wants to meet us in our place of pain, not our palace of pride or our palace of privilege. And I invited you at the end of the service that if you're hurting, if you're in pain, if you're suffering, to wait there, that that's where Jesus wants to meet you. However, if you're like me, waiting is never easy. I am not a patient person. Most of us are not patient people. And oftentimes, as we are waiting in that place of pain, part of that waiting and the struggle of waiting is the struggle of silence. When we're waiting, we ask questions like, God, when will you meet me? When are you going to come? Where are you in the midst of this? When will you meet in this place? And while we wait, there's nothing. Just silence. As I also mentioned last week and as we have talked about, there's always a story behind every song. And the song of Zechariah, the one we're going to look at today, is no different. And I believe it's a song that demonstrates the power of silence. But before we get to that story, I want to invite all of you to stand. We're going to read Zechariah's song together. We're going to start at verse 68. This is God's word for us today. Zechariah's song, which, by the way, is also known as the um, (laughs) Benedictus. Brain freeze for a minute. All right, here we go. 68, let's read it aloud. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited And redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear, holiness, and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation. Because of God's tender mercy, The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we just read and heard from Zechariah that, Lord, your light would come to darkness today. 
I pray that you would break upon us as dawn does to the night. I pray that you would lead us and guide us in a path towards peace. Come, Holy Spirit, in only the way that you can. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So to fully understand Zechariah's song and what led him to sing those prophetic words, we have to know not only Zechariah's story or what was going on, but we also, it helps us if we understand the nation of Israel's story, what was happening in that time leading up to the birth of Jesus. I don't know if you realize this or even if you've ever thought about it, but there is a great deal of time that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in our Bibles, we have an Old and a New Testament, an Old Covenant and a New Testament, but there's a space of time in between there. Actually, there's 400 years, and it's known as the 400 years of silence in Israel. If you go back to the very last words of the Old Testament, you'll find that there is a prophet named Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And the very last words of the Old Testament are these. Again, this is the prophet Malachi speaking. He said, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, if this is the last thing you heard from God for 400 years, that would be pretty discouraging. But that's what Israel heard. Think about that. For 400 years, no prophets, no writings, no more books, just those last words from the prophet Malachi. 400 years of silence for Israel. The last words, until this prophecy of Malachi that we just looked at was fulfilled through Zechariah's son, John the Baptist. Now, Jesus speaks to this. If you go to the gospel of Matthew in the 11th chapter, this is Jesus speaking. He says, before John came, speaking about John the Baptist, Zechariah's son, John came, John the Baptist, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. Jesus then says, if you're willing to accept what I say, he, speaking about Zechariah's son, John, is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Now, can you imagine 400 years without hearing from God? 400 years of silence from God. How are you with silence? How are you when you get the silent treatment from somebody? None of us like it. it. Causes knots in our stomach, a lot of stress and anxiety. How do you handle it when you are in season where it feels like God is giving you the silent treatment? No one likes it, especially when you feel like it's coming from God. However, as the song that we often sing and you know too well says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You could add the line, even when I don't hear it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. We must always remember that God works not only in the silence. God is working in the silence, but he is also working through the silence. God works in the midst of the silence, 
but he also can use the silence to work in us. Let me show you what I mean in regard to that 400 years where Israel heard nothing from God. During that 400 years, historically speaking, there were three empires that dominated the world. The first empire during that time was the Persian Empire. It was the Persian Empire that actually allowed the Israelites, they were in captivity in Babylon at that time, to return to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple, the Persian Empire. The empire that followed the Persians was the Greek Empire, led by a man named Alexander the Great. Now, One of the good things that Alexander the Great did was he brought a common language to a a majority of the people. He brought the Greek language, and it was spread through different people, and there was a common language, there was a common writing, and a common tongue. He also brought libraries, which was significant. What was the New Testament originally written in? Greek. So think about this. God used Alexander the Great in the Greek Empire to... Bring a common language to the world so that when Jesus came and Jesus had disciples follow him and the miracles that took place and the teachings that he did, the letters that Paul would write to the early Christians and the first Christians were all written. And because there was a language that was common, because people could write and read, now the story of Jesus could be shared among more people. That was a blessing of the Greek empire and Alexander the Great. Now, what was the empire that followed the Greeks? It was the Romans. The Roman Empire. Does anybody remember what what were one of the significant contributions of the Roman Empire? Roads and waterways. Transportation. So now, because of the Greeks, you have this common language in which the story of Jesus could be shared, it could be written, it could be read. Now, all of a sudden, you have the Roman Empire that comes that opens up transportation. It opens up roads and waterways. So now this common language, this common story, these letters could be traveled and could reach more people than they ever could before. While Israel suffered in silence for 400 years, God was working. He was using the Greeks. He was using the Romans to set the stage for the good news of the gospel to be shared to all people. You could even say that God was using all of this for his purpose and his glory. These 400 years of silence was the backdrop, that were the backdrop of Zechariah's song. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we talked about them a little bit last week, and I gave you some of the story. We're going to dive deeper today. We learn about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. So here we go. Herod was king of Judea, and there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They were godly people, careful, carefully obeying all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. But we find out that they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they both were very old. So we learn that Zechariah was a priest. Actually, even Elizabeth came from a, a priestly line of Aaron. And the Bible tells us they're godly people. They're older in age, but they've done everything right. They've obeyed the Lord. They're godly people. But through that time, they haven't been able to have children. 
Now, we know from a Jewish historian named Josephus that at the time of Zechariah, there were approximately 18,000 priests in Israel at that time, 18,000 priests. Now, they were spread out throughout the country of Israel, but twice a year, one of the responsibilities of a priest, one of their main responsibilities, was out of these 18,000 priests, twice a year, they had to travel to Jerusalem to serve at the temple. One week, they would need to do it in the spring, and the other week, they would need to do it in the fall. Now, that's not bad two weeks out of the year. It's kind of like being a pastor and only working one day a week. (laughs) That's a joke. We work more than one day a week. But for these priests, they would travel one week during the year, and they would come to Jerusalem. So here in the story of Luke, we find that Zechariah was there in Jerusalem. He was serving one of those weeks, serving at the temple. And then in verse 9, chapter 1, verse Luke, it tells us that there were lots that were cast for Zechariah to serve in the inner sanctuary. And so there were, there were, he, he won the lottery, if you will, to serve in the sanctuary. And this would have been an incredible honor for any priest, especially for Zechariah. So because of this, that's the backdrop, we find that Zechariah was in the sanctuary. He's there, lots are cast, he wins the lottery, if you will, he's in the sanctuary, and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was in the, he was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw the angel. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now pause there for a second. What do you think one of the major prayers in Zechariah's life were for years and years and years? That they could have children. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and arrives at their place of pain. For many of you, you have prayed and are praying for years to have children. And here, an angel shows up. And meets Zechariah in the place of pain and says, God has heard your prayers. The angel continues and says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. Now we won't continue reading. I'll tell you what happens. But Zechariah questions the angel. And he asks specifically, how can I be sure? How can I be sure this will happen? And I love this. He says, I am an old man. And my wife is also well along in years. Now, I love the fact that he referred to himself as old and his wife well along in years. (laughs) Zechariah was not only righteous, he was very wise. He was old and his wife was well along in years. But Zechariah wanted a sign. That's what he wanted. He says, how will I know? How can I be sure this is happening? Not realizing that the sign was standing right in front of him. Let me show you what I mean. The angel says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I'm standing in the very presence of God. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Like, I mean, imagine you're in your living room or wherever you pray every morning and you're there praying, you're reading, and all of a sudden an angel shows up. I mean, we read through these scriptures like it's nothing. Yeah, an angel showed up to Zechariah. But think about that for a minute. If an angel showed up in your living room and you said, but can you give me a sign? (laughs) Like, how many times did Gabriel visit Zechariah before? The angel's your sign, dummy. So 
Because of that, Gabriel responds and says, but now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. So Zechariah finishes his week serving in the temple, unable to speak. He walks out of the sanctuary and can only imagine what the other priests, they're like, something happened. Zechariah can't talk. And now for nine months, there is nothing but silence about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Nothing is written about them during this nine-month period before John is born. And I wish the, the gospel writer of Luke would have given us some indication of what was going on during those nine months. Can you imagine Zechariah traveling back home to Elizabeth, unable to speak, and he's trying to tell her that she's going to have a babel, baby. I mean, it's just it's crazy to think about that. But he can't speak for nine months, and we hear nothing. Nothing for nine months until this, in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby, baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. Now, for us, it may be harder to understand, but in Jewish tradition... A baby boy, when he turned eight days old, there were two ceremonies. There was a circumcision ceremony and there was a naming ceremony. So this celebration was bigger than just the immediate family, especially for Zachariah and Elizabeth, who everyone knew they had been trying to have kids and they're well in age and they're older. And all of a sudden, God now gives them a child. So this celebration in this ceremony, the naming ceremony would have been a community event. And so imagine all of the community, imagine your neighbors and your friends, people that maybe you you know and don't know as much, they all would have gathered for the naming of the firstborn son of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And in Jewish tradition, Zachariah's firstborn son would have been named what? Zachariah. That's how it worked. This would have been Zach Jr. But They ask Elizabeth, what will the name of the baby be? And she says, his name is John. Now, at that moment, everybody would have looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah and and thought, did you say John? Because we've checked Ancestry.com, and there's no John in your family. His name should be Zechariah. And so they question, and they're like, it's odd. It's that's, That's not who the name should be. It's not what the name should be. And so then the Bible tells us that they look to Zechariah, who still can't speak, by the way. And Zechariah does this. Unable to speak for nine months. The naming ceremony with friends, family, members of the community. They turn to him and he just does this. But in that moment, in that moment, the Bible tells us that instantly Zechariah could speak again. And what was the first thing he did? He began praising God. Think about not being able to speak for nine months. For nine months, you can't say a word. And then just like that, you get your voice back. What would be the first thing that comes to your mouth? I can speak. Praise God. Thank you. I can speak. Elizabeth, 
He didn't say, hey, let me tell you about this angel named Gabriel visiting me. Let me tell you what happened in that sanctuary. Elizabeth, let me, let me tell you what happened. He didn't address his wife. He didn't even look to his first and only born son, John. The immediate words out of his mouth were praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he pro promised through his holy prophets long ago. The first words out of Zechariah's mouth was a song of worship about Jesus. It was a song of worship about a little boy who hasn't, hadn't even been born yet. For nine months, no words. And the first thing out of his mouth was a worship song about Jesus. Zechariah's immediate response was to worship because God had been working in him through the silence. Singing, worship, adoration, praise. It was the natural response to what God had been doing deep within him during his season of silence. My belief is that Zechariah had been worshiping for nine months. He was just now able to vocalize it. He had spent nine months thinking, praying, processing, worshiping in the silence. And when God brought back his voice, a song, a prophetic song was the first thing out of his mouth. What should we do then in our silence while we wait in our place of pain? How should we handle our silence while we wait? We need to allow God to use it. Silence sharpens our ability to hear and to realize what God is doing around us. When you are silent, when you turn down the volume in that season that we wait, where we feel like God is not speaking, what can happen if we allow it is that our ears are now more finely tuned to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Our eyes can focus not on just what God's doing in our life, but we can begin looking and seeing at how God is working around us. God works in the silence, but he also uses the silence to work in us. We don't think often enough about the power of silence. Silence provides calm Silence provides an opportunity for reflection. Silence can be centering. We expect silence in the aftermath of a death. We expect silence in the presence of power. We observe silence in reverent and holy moments of worship. Sometimes silence is all we have when we've reached the end of our words because of despair and pain. Silence, even in music and song, it provides a time of breath for the singer. It provides dynamics for the song. Silence sharpens our ability to hear and to realize what God is doing around us. David, the psalmist, recognized that when he wrote these words, For God alone, O oh my soul, speaking to himself, speaking to himself, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. My encouragement to you today is that while you wait in the silence 
of your pain. While you wait for Jesus to meet you there, let us take Zachariah's lead and allow God to work in our silence. God used nine months of silence to write a song within Zachariah's heart. While you wait in that place of suffering, while you wait in that place of pain, while you wait with those questions, allow God to write a song within you. Worship even without words if you have to. But allow God to use that silence within you. Allow your ears to be tuned to hear the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Allow your eyes to look beyond yourself and to see how God is working of those around you. And allow your heart to write a song that when he shows up, you'll be able to vocalize. Jesus is working in and through the silence. Stand to your feet this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to have that moment of silence between you and God. If you're here today and you're in that season of pain, you may be asking. I talked to a lady after the first service this morning and she was telling me it's been nine years of silence. She's still waiting. I don't know how long it's been for you. Learn from Zachariah. Allow God to write a song in your heart. Can we just give him our attention in the silence right now? Heavenly Father, this is a month where we actually, we turn the volume up. We're in our cars and we crank the music, the songs of Christmas. We celebrate with coworkers, Christmas parties, family gatherings, and we crank the music. And that's a good thing. It's something to celebrate. This is a wonderful season to celebrate. But Lord, I believe your spirit is telling us that in the midst of turning the volume up, that we need to find moments where we simply shut it off. And remember that you work not only in silence, but you work through the silence. For some, I pray for those here today that, Lord, they feel as though you have given them the silent treatment. They feel as though they're in that 400 years of silence that the Israelites were where there's no word and there's nothing. May they be reminded that even in that season of the Israelites, you were using people the Israelites didn't like <laughs> to do things that would bring us the gospel today. Your purposes were being fulfilled and you were working. So Lord... Use this silence in them. May you write a song in them. May they sing even, with its, even if they can't express it in words. May they worship through that silence until you meet them on that day. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, amen.
fine moments, even this week. I know there's a lot of celebration going on, and it's a great thing. It's a good thing to sing and to celebrate the, Christ, the coming of the Christ. But let me encourage you also, turn it off sometimes and allow God to work through the silence. Be blessed. Have a great week.